This special edition episode of CRST the Podcast has been sponsored by RX Site. You're listening to CRST the Podcast from Brynmar Communications. I'm Matt Jensen from Vance Thompson Vision, where I'm the CEO, and my friends and I here are excited to be part of this CRS Today podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the light adjustable lens, and I have a group of esteemed uh, doctors from all over the country who I know you all know well. They're going to be talking about this uh, topic, Dr. Newsom, Dr. Jackson, and Dr. Ristfed. And before we get into some of the content, I thought maybe I'd have each of you uh, just introduce yourself. Maybe give me a little bit of how long you've been using the light adjustable lens and also where you're from. Dr. Dr. Newsom, maybe we'll start with you. Hi, thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, Hunter Newsom. I'm in uh, Tampa, Florida um, with a multi-specialty practice. Um, I've been using the light adjustable lens since 2012 at the beginning of the FDA study. Some of the first about 10 lenses using it and how do we develop the protocols for it. Um, so we've been on, you know, for many, many years and through the different uh, processes and developments of the lens. So I have an extensive knowledge of where it sort of started and where it's gone to. And I think this year we're probably on track to do about um, 700 LALs this year. So uh, thanks for having me on and look forward to an interesting uh, discussion. Well, that's really impressive, 700. And uh, we can't wait to ask you some questions about how you're implementing it. We'll get to that here in just, just a second, in the center of the country by the Great Lakes, uh, Dr. Mitch Jackson, how are you today? Hey, how you doing? Good. Hey, tell us a little bit about your practice. How, how long have you been uh, using the light adjustable lens? Yeah, so this month, I started my 30th year in private practice um, in a small town called Lake Villa. So I'm in, was originally rural, now suburban, uh, one north of Chicago, private practice. And we do about 40% premium uh, IOLs uh, weekly. And I'd say now about 70% of those are the light adjustable lens. So we do about 120, 130 cataracts a month is kind of what we're, is where I'm at right now. And I'm a solo surgeon in my practice. Okay, great. In the, in the uh, Chicagoland region. So thanks for that, Dr. Jackson. Yep. And then my friend, uh, Dr. Deb Ristved, uh, she and I have been uh, working together for the last few years. Uh, she's really come on the scene strong in the refractive cataract surgery world in the last uh, five plus years, especially. Uh, and she's from the greater lakes of central Minnesota, uh, uh, vacation town of Alexandria. Deb, um, tell me about your experience with the light adjustable lens. Well, thank you, Matt, so much. And it's just such an honor to be here. I'm one of seven locations now at Vance Thompson Vision. So I just love our team so much. And, you know, as a comprehensive ophthalmologist, I've learned a ton the last five years as far as how to grow my premium IOL practice. And the light adjustable lens has been a game changer as I don't do corneal refractive surgery. And so to have a lens to give you the confidence to know that you're going to hit the target is just wonderful. And so I'm finding that the light adjustable lens is used more and more um, in my practice. Well, that's great. And uh, a non-corneal refractive surgeon, you know, using this as the workbench for LASIK-like outcomes, Deb, that's really impressive. Um, so I want to transition here. Uh, thanks all three of you for joining us here. We, we want to talk a little bit about uh, a topic, this topic, since some people, though the technology has been around for some time, haven't uh, really thought through the paradigm 
Um, Dr. Jackson, tell us about what the light adjustable lens is and how it works. So I always sum up four words for it and then I'll kind of get really into the nitty gritty, but I call light adjustable lens is all about adjustability, invisibility, customizability, and profitability. Now, those are my four favorite words when you say what's a light adjustable lens. So what is the lens? You know, we used to take a lifetime assessment of a patient, kind of guess what they want. We put a lens in, hope we guessed right, and that's what we have to live with. Now we actually put the light adjustable lens in, and then we assess their lifestyle and how they're doing with it and make the adjustment to their lifestyle, and then they have a happier patient. So basically what the light adjustable lens is, is a lens that actually allows us to do an adjustment based on a patient's lifestyle needs. We can customize their prescription to get that lifestyle uh, perfection that we want with them. That's awesome. And I love your, I love your four uh, quote abilities. Those are words to live by for any technology in a refractive surgery environment. Uh, Dr. Deb uh, Ristved in Alexandria, tell us how it's changed the practice experience. Uh, what, what's changed in the choreography? Initially, when we started using the light adjustable lens, the optic body didn't have the active shield. And so we know that patient compliance is a huge issue. I do a lot of minimally invasive glaucoma surgery because we just know that patients aren't utilizing their drops like they should be. And that goes with, you know, anything with compliance with cataract surgery. Are they taking their drops afterwards? And how good are they with wearing these UV protective glasses after surgery? These patients before had to wear their glasses at all waking hours. Um, initially, we even told them to use them in the shower if there, were, there was a lot of light coming through the windows. <laughs> so, well, now with the active shield, there's this protection from UV ambient light. And this protective shield, the active shield, only opens once the light delivery treatment starts. And so once it opens, you deliver the light. And then once you're done, that active shield locks again. And so what I found is that it gives us more ease knowing that you have an extra protective layer. And I've found that we can extend those treatments. So if someone wants to live in their vision for a little bit longer, you're not worried that they're going to get antsy and be out of their UV glasses. Well, you know, if I can combine Dr. Istved, what you and Dr. Jackson were, were saying there is patients really have time as much time as they need to test drive their vision uh, before locking it in and what they want for the long term, which really opens up the question I have for you, Dr. Newsom, which is um, with, with this kind of adjustability, uh, customization, who, who's a good candidate for a technology like this? So who's a good candidate? Really, the only limitations that I have is what's their pupil size. Um, and anybody who's really looking for the best quality and best outcome in their vision is a candidate for this lens because it's really a monofocal lens. Um, it's really anybody who's looking for the best quality of vision. Um, how do you get patients to understand that, um, that there's a difference that now we have really two ways of thinking about the light adjustable lens. One is we have fixed lens technology, which is every lens that's existed so far, and now we have an adjustable lens. And how do we get patients to understand the quality and the accuracy of the vision if they really want to have the best vision? I compare that to having a 10-foot golf putt. I'll tell a patient, when we do cataract surgery, 
Um, you know, I'm a great golfer and expert. If I'm going to have one putt for 10 feet, I'm going to have to do all my measurements, make all the assessments, get the perfect club, get the perfect ball. And I get to hit that ball one time. And 85% of the time I'm within six inches of the hole. And that'll make you quote 20 happy and you'll do fine. I said, but with the light adjustable lens, I get to make that same first stroke. Then I have three more strokes to put that ball in the hole. And patients are like, I get it. And then I said, and that hole may be for distance and maybe for intermediate or it may be for near. You get to determine where you want that lens to be. If it's a fixed lens, I have to determine where I think you want to be. And I'm only 85% accurate. And then I'm going to pick you for distance. And what's going to be the near and the intermediate? Is it going to be what's right for you? I don't know. I determine that. And so patients, especially that type A personality patient or anyone that understands that quality of vision, um, and that's what they're looking for, what's going to give me the best vision, that's who I think is a good candidate for the light adjustable lens. So usually if they're going to be spending, you know, say $7,000 for a presbyopic IOL, um, for two eyes, they usually don't have a problem saying, well, I want to have the best vision possible. That's the LAL. They'll usually do 10 for the um, light adjustable lens. So cost hasn't been a big factor for us. Um, and it's really saying, is it a patient that understands that best vision and wants to have the best potential vision? You know, and we'll get into some pricing methodologies here in a little bit, because I'm really eager to see the cross section of the United States here and how you're pricing this technology. So I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Dr. Newsom, you know, Dr. Jackson, I've heard you speak a few times about how you position the technology to your patients. And you heard me say earlier um, how, you know, how we like to talk about test driving vision. Can you talk a little bit about how you position the technology um, amongst your other offerings? And, and most importantly, maybe run through how you talk about it with patients. Yeah, so like I said earlier, it's kind of redefining the patient journey. So I go into it with them and say, especially let's say, I'll just say an example. You have a lace post-LASIK patient and um, they want that perfect LASIK vision. And now I have no room on their cornea, for example, to do a tweak or enhancement if I do an alternate technology. It's a perfect example. And I've done over 30,000 laser vision correction procedures. So all these patients are coming back to my practice. So I get lots of these. And so here I am saying, well, we have the perfect option because I don't even have to worry about your cornea anymore. I'm going to be treating the lens directly with a light treatment to nail the outcome in the end. And so they get it because I said, you still want that perfect vision. And so we're kind of changing the paradigm now. We used to do a lifestyle assessment. Now we're doing like a lifestyle verification after the lens goes in and we can we have time to tweak it in the lens in these type of patients but every, but it's not just post refractive patients that are good candidates like hunter said earlier to me everybody's a candidate for this unless their pupil doesn't dilate well enough to be able to do the light treatment so everybody's a candidate um and so we place this in my lifestyle options i call it our legal to drive bag but it's not just legal to drive. Some people want perfect distance vision. Some people want to be able to see their smartphone. And so it's, it's really just setting expectations. Um, in my scheme of things, we actually, and I know some of you are going to talk about it here in a little bit. We actually do a mini mono vision. We set the patients up with a mini mono, like minus 0.75 sphere in the non-dominant eye. We don't even tell them we're doing that. 
And then when they can actually read their phone, afterwards I said, I guess we have to charge you more because you got more than you expected from the procedure, you know, when they're leaving, it's just kind of fun with them. Um, but the EDUF effect with this lens uh, by leaving them a minus 0.75 sphere is great because you're getting them distance vision and what they care about most is the smartphone. I always joke the smartphone can't be smart if they can't see it. So they always laugh when we nail it, but I don't tell them ahead of time it's a mini monovision because they think in their head, I can't do that imbalance. I just set it that way. If they don't like it, then we can adjust it and make the eyes perfect for distance. So in the scheme, I just present every patient with it if they qualify. And it's really my go-to lens now. Um, you don't have the side effects, like Hunter said, it's a monofocal lens. So you don't have the side effects of trifocals and diffractive, non-diffractive zonal technologies and all these other technologies. And so you have less chair time. You might have a little more chair time doing the adjustment, but that's a chair time I want. I don't want the chair time where I have to talk a patient off the cliff because they're having glare halos, whatever side effect they're having. This is a good chair time because I know I'm getting them to the right outcome in the end. It's really impressive the way you talk about mini monovision in there and how you just set it up for them to enjoy, uh, knowing that you can kind of bring it back, you know, or do it differently afterwards with the next next adjustment. I think that's really, uh, really insightful. And, and it leads me to ask you, Dr. Newsom, a little bit more about LDD targeting with the light adjustable lens. Um, you know, I know that you've thought a lot about that and how to achieve the best vision possible at all distances. What, what, what's been your experience in that regard? So targeting is a good question. So what do we do? We do the same thing that Mitch was talking about. Um, so we basically want to try and give everybody um, distance vision and a little bit of near vision. So I set that up by telling the patient, initially, the first thing we're going to do, the first adjustment is give you good distance vision. And then as we go through the adjustments, we're going to take some of that distance vision to give you more near vision. How much near vision am I going to give to you? I give you a small, medium, or large amount and you as the patient determine how much you want. We always take a little bit from the distance to gain at the near, so you'll determine where you wanna be. If I take too much, we can always go back the next week and push you back to where you wanna do, where you wanna be. So I let them understand the concept of what's gonna happen. I don't mention mini mono or blended or anything. I just say, we're able to get this vision. You always take a little bit from the distance and gain at the near. Um, and if they then say, hey, you know, I notice one eye is better for near than the other eye. What's going on with this? I say, you know, sometimes we get that. That's okay. No problem. And I have a little mini mono myself. And I'll say, I'm actually doing the same thing that you're doing myself. So I'm coming to that same technology with, I'm 51, so I need a little bit of that near vision. So we target plus 50 in the dominant eye, Plano in the non-dominant eye. First adjustment takes them to Plano and minus 50. And then the follow-up visits are basically, are they happy? They're doing great. We lock them in. Are we shooting for a minus 75 or a minus one or potentially a minus 125? And that's kind of like the small to medium amount of near vision. 80% of our patients end up being 20-20 distance, 20-20 reading with no glasses, with that little mini mono or what we call blended vision. One of the things that I do want to warn you is about when you go from minus 125 to minus 150 is a dramatic change. We knew that from just days with a monofocal lens and um, Dr. McDonald taught me a lot about it. When you go from a minus 125 to a minus 150, you have a dramatic drop in your stereopsis. So you really go from a mini mono or blended vision to a true mono vision where your eyes are separated. So be careful if you're thinking of taking a patient from a minus one to a minus 150, I'll do a contact lens trial to make sure they really want to go that far. 
patients that really want to go past that minus 125 going to sort of a minus 150 to minus 175 are typically patients that walked in saying, I'm mono, I love mono vision, I've had it for 20, 30 years, and you know you're probably going to take them right to about a minus 150 to minus 175. I don't find that we need to go above a minus two or minus 225 or minus 250 like you think with reading glasses because this lens being inside the eye closer to the nodal point, you get a lot more depth of focus with this lens and just better quality of vision. So we hardly ever go above a minus 175. Um, so that's kind of where we are with targeting. Well, I think that that's really, really great. And especially when you tie it back to outcomes, you know, Dr. Jackson and, and, and you, Dr. Newsom, both did such a good job of talking about almost a concierge approach to listening to your patients. I mean, the lens, I mean, it requires you to do this, but, but it, it um, I mean, the patient is really put in the driver's seat as to what step they want to take next. And it's hard for them not to feel completely in control and thusly really happy with their outcome. I mean, so you're, uh, you know, I, I don't want to use the wrong word here, but you're, it's almost like they're, they're kind of buying into it along the way and then therefore are super happy at the end. Uh, and I think it's really impressive how you've, how you've uh, um, set up that discussion within your practice. You know, this all kind of pulls itself towards um, the integration in the practice. Um, you know, and I, I've overused this word a lot with this technology, but the choreography of of the visits and, and the treatments themselves. Uh, Dr. Rista, tell us a little bit about how you're doing it in Minnesota. And, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll probably go around the horn because I think this is a state-by-state -state, uh, uh, you know, question of how people are actually doing the adjustments in real time at the point of care. Preparing your practice for any new technology is always tough. Um, because there are a lot of moving parts from the front part of your office to surgery to the back part of your office, getting everyone in alignment. And that's where I love working with companies that provide a lot of support and education because it is all about that support and education. I felt like early on, we really, really had a lot of handholding when it came to supporting staff with telling them what this light adjustable lens was and why it was different from other premium IOLs. We had a lot of training um, go into the light delivery device, how to make sure that the patients are set up for success. And then even preoperatively, um, just allowing our techs to be comfortable talking to those patients and changing a few things, maybe some more nuances that weren't you know, part of the process with other premium lenses. For instance, you have to put a new A constant into your biometer. You have to document the pupil size once they're dilated. And so we really involved our techs and celebrated that we got to use this technology that was groundbreaking. Now, once we had the technology, it was all about how it flowed. And so patient flow is a huge thing. Um, these patients, once they come in for their light delivery treatments need to be dilated every time. And so that involves a lot of waiting. And so we've now evolved where we're putting pledgets in the eye so that the patient doesn't need so many dilating drops. Um, we tell the patient that they can go and grab a coffee and come back or if they would like to wait with their loved ones, they can do that. But we wanna keep these patients as comfortable as, pro as possible um, when they're waiting. So that involves, you know, again, 
knowing that, um, you know, they're, they're not going to be bummed by having to come in for all of these different visits. And then per state, um, we've integrated our optometrists into this process. They talk to the patients, they do a precise manifest refraction, they talk about the patient journey and their goals. And in some states, they're now doing the light delivery treatments. In Alexandria, Minnesota, I have one optometrist and I am blessed to have my own surgery center. And so with his full schedule, I'm actually doing these light delivery treatments in between cataract surgery. And that works out really well. It's like doing a YEG capsulotomy or an SLT. And so I find that that takes a little bit more off of his plate, but he's still able to be really involved with that patient in the clinic and in the exam chair to really find where that best manifest refraction should lie. And I'll just weigh in on this as we go back to Dr. Newsom and then to Dr. Jackson. In some of the other uh, states where Vance Thompson Vision has centers by state uh, where it allows, our optometrists might be the ones doing the light treatment itself. And that serves to be a nice uh, enhancement to a workflow as well. Um, and they're working right hand in hand with the surgeons along the way as well to make sure it matches up with the patient's expectations uh, from their early consultations as well. Dr. Newsom, how do you do it in uh, Florida? So in Florida, unfortunately, we don't have the optometrist able to do it, which I wish that we could because being able to have them come and offload some of that would be great. Um, but having said that, you know, I start to develop a relationship with these patients. You see them maybe three, four, sometimes five times. So these are some great patients. You really get to know them and see what their outcomes are. And by the end, you're chit-chat, you get to know them. So it really helps your referral network because you get to spend some time with it. So it's nice. And also the other thing I'll say is setting up the system that you have in your practice is extremely critical because all the work is in the post-operative care. So number one, I'll repeat it, make sure that you charge enough money where it becomes worthwhile for you setting up the system. Because to be successful, you can't just say, it's like they come back in and we're gonna check your glasses prescription. Just somebody's gonna do the refraction and set them up for the glasses and then you go get it. That's not gonna work because you're commanding the most money for this process that you're doing. So if it doesn't look professional and follow just like you do with your LASIK patients, they're not gonna see the value in what you're doing. So what we set up is it's actually the same optometrist that does all of our LASIK pre-ops. She does all of our refractions, same room, same place in the clinic, um, we have one technician that does it first to help and then or one of our residents that's uh, we have an OD fellowship or residency. So we have one of the ODs that will do the first refraction. She then does a confirmatory second refraction, talks to the patient, spends the time, does most of the burden of discussing it with the patients. Um, and she's excellent. So we get a good refraction. So we know exactly where that patient's refraction is and where that patient wants to be. Then they'll come downstairs and see me as they're dilating, going through that process. I'm just seeing my patients like usual. We have one of the um, one of the exam lanes. We just had room in the back where we put the LDD so you could see patients in the same room. But then when it comes time for the LDD, we just put a patient in there. I did not slow my clinic down at all. I just said, I'm just gonna keep moving along and see what happens. Um, and we'll do between 12 and 15 adjustments on a daily basis routinely. And I just kind of mix them throughout we do our light delivery devices. Um, usually I do in one of our offices, I do them on Mondays. The other office, I do it on Wednesdays. So we do it once a week. Then that patient knows if I'm coming in at 10 o'clock, 
they're going to come in at 10 o'clock for the next one, two, three, four weeks at the same time. And so they get kind of with their schedule that they have. Um, so it hasn't really changed me and what I'm doing um, as far as cutting back on patients in the clinic. It has been a little bit more work for me. It is a little bit more time, but I'm averaging, you know, doing one of those adjustments, it may be three minutes or something like that. Um, but if you look at doing 10, 12, 15 of those throughout a day, yes, I've got to kind of move a little bit more efficiently, but I have not adjusted my schedule or anything. That's really um, interesting that you've almost set it up, Dr. Newsom, like a cohort, right? They're all coming through at the same scheduled time. And that's a fascinating way to, I, I hadn't heard that or paid attention to it before when I've heard you speak. And I think that we can learn a lot from that program like ours as well. So thank you for that. Now, um, we, I'm so tempted to jump on the pricing question here. And, uh, and I know you gave us a little glimpse into that. But before we do, uh, Dr. Jackson, how are you handling the, the adjustments post-operatively? And then I'm going to have you segue that right into how you were, you're positioning the, the pricing of the technology. You don't have to give me specific pricing, but if you give me a range, and then I'll ask some follow-up questions. Yeah, yeah. Great. So um, I kind of do like Hunter does almost like a mini cohort uh, process. So um, our surgery center, we do one eye and then a week later we do the second eye. And what we typically do, as long as the patient we feel is stable, cornea is clear, no more edema, they're not really a post RK patient that might fluctuate more, just our regular mill LAL patient where we feel things are stable. We typically will do the first adjustment on day 16 after the second eye. And that's usually on a Thursday, operate on Tuesdays. And the way we do it is, unless we feel something's off kiltered, we'll go a Thursday, Monday, Thursday, Monday, until we knock off the adjustment of the two lock-in treatments. You have to do at least one adjustment and two lock-in treatments. Um, and I also tell patients they have to wear their glasses outside up to 24 hours after the last lock-in treatment. And so that's what we typically do. We, we book all these appointments. Our surgery coordinator books all these days ahead of time at their surgery scheduling uh, visit. So they book their surgeries and at least three treatments ahead of time where it can be changed. They know ahead of time it might change, but at least if they book it, patients kind of have a plan, kind of when they're going to be coming in. We tell them it's a little longer visit. We got to make sure their vision's stable. We're going to be checking their refraction or prescription, we tell them. And, and that's what we're treating off. That's pretty much it. We, you know, we have to put a lens on the eye, tell patients that we're going to numb the eye. It's painless, 90-second average treatment, sometimes a little faster, sometimes a little less, um, set expectations. And I tell them, you know, they can drive it on their own. There's no restrictions after the, uh, the light treatment, so they don't feel like it's impairing or infringing on their lifestyle postoperatively. And, you know, once you have the system down, like we do with this cohort type system, I like how you describe that. Um, you know, the flow in our practice is really easy now because we, our whole staff already knows what's happening on Thursday afternoons or Monday mornings for these light, uh, light treatments. So it keeps everything very efficient. And like I said, it's the chair time you want to have, not, not the chair time walking a patient off the cliff as they're unhappy with an alternate technology. Talk to me about some of the way you position the pricing within your practice and specifically, how does it compare uh, again, without giving me specific pricing, yeah. how does it compare to your other more advanced technology lenses? So when we first started, we have our, like our basic package, then we have our driving vision package. We call legal drive and we have our forever young package. 
everything's lifestyle. So originally I thought, well, this will go in our legal drive package, which we did because I thought most people would do distance vision, not knowing that I'd be doing a lot of the mini mono later on. And then we have our Forever Young, which is our presbyopia correcting IOLs. And so initially we had those as the highest price um, and our light adjustable lens was in the mid tier and our basic option was pretty much a monofocal, maybe with femtosecond laser technology to do a little astigmatism correction. And so now still most people will pick the mid tier. Our pricing though, we kind of did it intentionally. We left, I'll just say we left it a couple hundred dollars less than our forever young option. Cause I feel patients don't want the cheapest, but they don't want the most expensive. They want the best. We feel the extra work we have to do with the light adjustable. We've kind of upped our price for our Forever Young and light adjustable to get the price what we really want for our light adjustable lens. Um, like Hunter said, we had a talk at Ascaris. He said, we should be doing this for 10,000 plus or minus. So I'm in that range, 10,000 plus or minus, kind of give a little range there. We're kind of approaching that because there's more work but it's the work we want to do to get the right outcome. And I feel good about charging patients because we know we're going to get them the outcome for what they're paying for. And so that's kind of how we do it. Yeah, that's helpful. I appreciate that range. And, and with the uh, uh, multifocals com coming in just a couple hundred dollars over it, or, or I think that's the way you said it, um, Dr. Jackson, I think that yep. that makes sense and especially justifies the chair time. Uh, Dr. Ristfed, talk to me about your pricing and how you've set it up. So no one can see me, but I'm smiling from ear to ear because, <laughs> you know, I was in a very, you know, kind of um, generational practice where, um, you know, the premium IOL option was not there. And then once it became available, I didn't know if I had the confidence to talk to the patient about, you know, expectations, outcomes, really getting them to the end goal because I didn't do laser fine tunes. And so that was always in the back of my head. You know, can I get to this? Can I nail this target refraction? Can I get this patient to a really happy spot? And that's why the light adjustable lens has given me so much confidence. And I agree with Mitch and Hunter, it does take a lot of work, but it's good work because you're involved with the patient, you're on this beautiful journey. And one thing that I've learned over time is that, you know, quality of vision, what is, what is that measured? And a partner of mine, John Berdahl, um, quoted about 15,000 per eye for lifestyle in a healthy um, man or woman. And so when you think about that and the quality of vision, and then you think about what we're designing our prices around, that's something that I've really, really um, found to hold true and give me more confidence to say, yeah, vision is a big deal. We want these patients to be using their vision how they should be for the rest of their life. And so that's really helped us in our practice to elevate the light adjustable lens to our premium IOL package um, with some of our other diffractive options. And so we've really increased that price over time because of time commitment, because of the results that we're seeing, the extended depth of focus that we're seeing, and the overall just happy patient. Yeah, and just to add a little bit of color of that to that, um, what Dr. Risfit is referencing is a study that's been done by 
um, some of the doctors in our field that's looking at the quality of life found in healthcare and what is a good quality of life or a healthy uh, body worth during different periods of life. And that can be segmented out by, by ailment um, over time. And, and their assessment uh, using a bunch of different kind of scores and metrics uh, quantitatively is that vision um, at this stage, at the stage of cataract surgery in people's lives, uh, clarity of vision and spectacle independence carries um, at least a $15,000 um, quality value. Quality is a shorthand for 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 the study itself, uh, and that's per eye, which was remarkable. And it just shows, you know, the industry how over time we have probably been a little bit short-minded, uh, small-minded in how we set up our pricing and the real value bringing when folks can go buy a 4K TV for roughly the same price um, as what we're typically offering. Um, yet they can take their vision everywhere. Uh, Dr. Newsom, maybe you can uh, round us out with how you've set up the pricing in your program in Florida. For us, we have developed lots of different ways and different tiers and different things. And we've really determined in our practice that there's three things we're going to do with the patient. Number one, develop the physician as the expert in the field of what they do. Number two, we're going to make a recommendation to the patient for what we think is going to be the best thing for them. And then three, we try and essentially close or make sure we get that patient on the books. So that's kind of how we do it. And we'd look at the best lens and we really just have two price points. One is a fixed lens and one is an adjustable lens. Um, and on the fixed lens side, that may be a monofocal lens with an LRI, whether laser or without it. And that's the same price as a fixed presbyopic lens, the same price as a fixed toric monofocal lens. And we're basically going to tell the patient what their expectations are with the vision because that fits them the best vision, best lens for them versus price. What we found is sometimes price is incorporated with what works the best. And then that's one thing that's typically in the $7,000 range. And then around the $10,000 range, because what we did is determine what's the value in those four post-op visits. And I put that at $3,000. So that's what we made it worth to do that. And then you divide that. If you do three visits, then that's $1,000 per visit net profit. If you do four or five, so that makes it worthwhile for you to actually get paid for those visits. So that's where we put our LAL at 10,000. And that's for two, for two eyes, essentially 5,000 per eye. So we don't, we kind of get away from the, what's the choice and the option. We did have the middle tier, but the problem was, um, you know, in a small rural community that we have lower socioeconomics, our conversion rate's about 40% to upgrades. In Tampa, Hillsborough County, where it's a little bit different demographics, it's about 60%, which is crazy. So rather than try and say, I'm going to base it on price, be the doctor, make a recommendation for what gives the patient the best outcome. And we made it, what's a adjustable lens is one price. And if I use fixed lens technology, that's another. And we just simplify it. So that's kind of my basis of what we have. Yeah, that's a really helpful way to look at it, Dr. Newsom. And so really across the country, I see everybody landing, you know, just north or just south of, of $10,000 bilateral, you know, plus or minus five or $600, depending on uh, how they're presenting it at the point of care. Now, listen, I know we're rounding the corner on this discussion on the wide adjustable lens. And I just want to go around the horn one more time. Uh, with this question, and it's, if you had cataracts today, uh, what lens would you be selecting for your own vision, Dr. Jackson? Well, it's easy for me. I was a minus 775 sphere myo, 
So um, see, 22 years ago, I had LASIK and now I have no corneal tissue remaining. And um, I want, I have really good vision. <laughs> and when I get a cataract, I want to maintain good vision. I don't want to rely on having one shot to get me that good vision, have no way to adjust or treat it. So by far, I would have light adjustable lens in my specific situation because I will be able to get the adjustability by treating the lens to find that sweet spot for me. As you all know, I professionally DJ on the side and I can't be wearing glasses at a nightclub looking at my screens. So I gotta have that mini mono vision and be able to drive and golf and do all the things I do. And, enjoy life. So um, this is an easy slam dunk for me. Light adjustable lens for me is a simple uh, solution for my life and my needs. That's great. Well, I, were, I wish I was worried about the nightclub scene. You, you, are, <laughs> you are far younger at heart than I am. Dr. Newsom, how about you? So for me, that's where I tell patients now. So for me, I've tried multifocal contact lenses. So I see those side effects that patient happens and I, patients have, and I could use a multifocal contact lens and I can have it but I'm that type A personality surgeon. And I see that little bit of quality of vision drop off of the multifocal. So for my own self and my ride eye on Plano in the distance, and probably about a year ago, I had to start putting a plus 50 in my left eye, which I hated it initially because I was happy at one out of 10, but I learned that if I didn't have that in, I had no near vision, I couldn't read a thing. So I had to learn how to like it and appreciate it. And now I'm at a plus 75 over here in Plano on this eye. And if I take out my contact lens and play tennis, I am off balance because I'm not used to having both eyes distance and I feel naked without any near vision. So for me right now today, um, I am using mini mono or blended vision. So that's what I know it is. I could use a multifocal contact lens, which I've tried all the different ones that we've had, and that just wasn't, didn't make me the happiest. So for right now, it's that blended vision, mini mono, the LAL essentially. Okay, Dr. Ristved, help us uh, finish this out with, uh, with the question. What, what would you have in your eye if you had cataract surgery? Oh man, you know, um, as the other docs have been talking, you know, one thing is we're so lucky to live in the day of age we are because all of the options that we're giving to our patients are great options. And that's kind of how I approach patient care. I say, you know, I wouldn't recommend this option um, for you if I wouldn't recommend it for my family member or if I wouldn't do it myself. And so really by living with that principle, again, we have so many great options for every individual patient. Um, for me specifically, I'm actually a mini monovision and I've now turned the ripe old age of 40. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm trying to hold off on reading glasses for as long <laughs> as I can, um, but it's working. I love mini monovision and just seeing how happy our patients are. You know, what Hunter was talking about before was adjusting this lens. And as you do that, you induce a little bit of spherical aberration. So that's why we're not seeing that we have to adjust these mini monos as you know, far and cause you know, anisometropia as we used to. Um, and so specifically for me, I would go with the light adjustable lens and do mini mono. Well, that's, uh, that kind of runs the whole table. Uh, all of you who are using the lens would prefer it in your own eyes. And uh, while considering other great technologies, it, it has good rationale for each of you uh, from your own uh, standpoint. 
listen, I, I want to thank you all for being on the call, Dr. Newsom, uh, Dr. Jackson, and Dr. Ristvedt. It's fun uh, for me to be able to talk about this technology with you like we have before. And, and on behalf of Hunter and Mitch and Deb and myself, Matt Jensen from Vance Thompson Vision, we just want to thank CRS today and uh, for inviting us onto their podcast for, uh, to talk about the light adjustable lens. And with that, we'll, we'll uh, send it all back to you. Thanks for listening to this special episode of CRST, the podcast. For more shows just like this one, check out the podcast channel on itube.net. Thank you.